Alright, hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Combat Connection podcast. This is Masa. We have Lo and Luca on here, and we have a guest today who goes by. What are you going by? Go <laughs> uh, by Beast King. Alright. And we have a guest today, Beast King, who is going to be joining us. So, let's get started. Alright, guys, so today's topic of conversation. We're going to be discussing something maybe a little bit meta. We're going to be talking about differences between martial arts and how a martial art changes and how much change will actually determine if something's a new martial art or not. Now, that's a lot to take in and discuss, so uh, we're just going to try and get started so it doesn't become like three hours. I guess to start things off, we can go uh, based on our returning guest, Beast King. Uh, Beast King, what are you currently training? I am currently training Sanda with a base in Northern Longfist. Okay. What distinguishes Sanda from everything else? How is how can Sanda be interpreted as a different system or a different rule set? And what are the pros and cons to each school of thought? Well, simply put, Sanda as a whole is more on the perplexing side as it can look completely different depending upon where in which you learn it. That being said, I think, you know, seeing how ours is out of the direct money to the IWF, I guess I could use ours for example, but what defines Sanda from most other forms of Kung Fu styles is that it takes in a lot of Western inspiration and inspiration from different arts. If anything, I'd say it's almost like a Chinese equivalent to MMA. We have Western boxing mixed in with our Northern Long Fist along with elements of Muay Thai and other styles that kind of culminate, create this kickboxing-esque martial arts in which you can, you know, add on to your previous Kung Fu knowledge to create something new. And that's the whole reason why, you know, it'll always look different depending on what traditional art you do beforehand, but, you know, that's what it is, I suppose. Uh, well, that's actually uh, something very interesting, Sanda, is as much as it has decent popularity as a martial art that is put out into the mainstream, although I think there's only one uh, UFC fighter that practices it or is known for practicing it, so it's something that's somewhat a little unknown, in, especially in the realm of kickboxing where Muay Thai is the dominant. Uh, speaking of Muay Thai, let's go into Masa. Masa, what are your martial arts and how are they defined? What makes them stand out as what they are? So, my previous art was Kempo, and we actually split off from the branch we were part of um, basically because there was just kind of a shitstorm brewing uh, just internal conflicts and we were like you know what fuck this uh, we stepped aside and that's kind of how that became its own thing um, so just Kempo uh, punching kicking uh, trapping I, I don't know just like it seems normal to me because I don't really know how to describe it it's just blocking sparring um, that sort of thing uh, but yeah, the, the split happened just because we wanted to avoid conflict, and then from there, it was kind of 
up to the master of the dojo to seek out a grandmaster. And so he has Kempo experience, obviously, but um, a slightly different one. Like, I guess our, we used to be part of USSD, and then all crazy stuff happened before it split off, um, but we left before then. Then we found Grandmaster, and he had a lot of Valari Kempo background, I think. Don't quote me on that. I think it's Valari. And then, you know, he did his Grandmaster thing and just kind of added what he felt, enhanced it, and took away what he thought was useless. And then we added that into our Kempo, and so that's just kind of a hybrid of whatever. Um, and then my current art is Muay Thai, and I mean, the, the clinch, I think, is the biggest, you know, part of it that stands out compared to a lot of other martial arts. So I don't know the lineage of my current Muay Thai art or anything quite like that, but I know, you know, Muay Thai as a whole, the, my understanding is that the, the clinch and the teep are pretty unique to Muay Thai. And that's, that's certainly um, something that uh, uh, comes up a lot is how different the Muay Thai clinching is compared to other arts and the teep is also known as just the Muay Thai push kick. And a lot of people would just say, yeah, push kick, teep kick, it belongs to Muay Thai. And uh, so those are probably the defining factors specifically of like the well-known Muay Thai that people train in modern competitive Muay Thai. Uh, wonder what if Lo can tell us the older Muay Thai might have been known for to the modern one isn't, and then we can he can also go into his karate and Kali. So if we're going on Muay Thai grid, if you look into modern Muay Thai, you have a lot of outboxing work and clinch work, but most of the time, I feel that they're lacking in their transition between the two. If you look into Muay Thai Ladrit, they were really based on four different theories. Uh, the first one we'll go over is hot, which means just to break something. So, like, it'll be like a joint lock to snap it. Um, we'll go over top, which is just to crush. So, that'll be like devastating strikes, like modern Muay Thai is known for. Then we'll also have chop, which is just to grab. So, that goes into your grappling, and then tomb. Tomb just means to hit the earth with your opponent, so throwing. Like, if you look into the difference between Muay Thai and Muay Thai Lerdrit, modern Muay Thai omitted a lot of the takedowns that were shown within older Muay Thai, right? You have a lot of sweeps and such that you'll see now, but if you look into the older Muay Thai, they actually had some, what we'll call in Judo, Koshiwaza or Tewaza. So, throwing techniques using the hip or the hands. It's just a little bit more diverse with less of a specialty. That's not a bad thing and it's not a good thing. It's just that's where the differences arose. If we go into karate, um, I'll just go into Kinkojuku, for example. Kinkojuku versus Shotokan, right? So the full term would be Kinkojuku Shotokan, but I don't really like to associate with the Shotokan guys as much. Shotokan guys usually do a much deeper zinkutsutachi, a really, really deep front stance, which... I've already got one bum knee. It's not really good for my knee. I don't want to do all these demanding stances because they hurt me. But if you look into their other their other techniques, like their uh, their shuto uke or shuto uchi, right? 
they do it at a really, really wide rotation for it. Whereas in Kinkojuku, we go a little bit more straight line just because we get to the target faster. It's not to say it's wrong. It's not to say it's right. It's just how we have our differences there. And, of course, we're not going to sit there and focus, hey, you're going to do your Atemi Waza here, 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 here. We're not just a pure striking system. A lot of the grappling was omitted because point fighting is a thing and school kids doing karate is a thing now. But that's really where the differences came into play. Namido. If I go into Namido, I've... I'm, I'm, I'll admit it, I'm extremely biased on this, but I think that Namido is the most well-rounded system I've come across. Because if you look into jiu-jitsu, right, the modern interpretation of jiu-jitsu, omitting BJJ, because I hate on BJJ a lot, I'm not going to bring it up in this discussion. Japanese jiu-jitsu, as it's seen now, everything that anyone ever really thinks of is limited ground game, tons of throwing, looks almost identical to Aikido, and then everyone brings up, well, they used to have swords. That's fine and dandy, but the differences between a modern look at that versus Namido is Namido really covers every area of striking. They try to evolve past what tradition will hold them to. So you have all of your Nagewaza, all of your Neiwaza, so you have full throwing techniques, full ground techniques, full striking techniques sweeping techniques, full weapons work, full deployment, full weapons retention. They focus on every aspect of combat, as well as every aspect of approach in combat. I feel that what really defines Namido versus other systems I've seen, and I'm not really, I wouldn't say that I'm just the leading person to talk to about Namido. We'll hopefully in the future have some interviews regarding some of my coaches and some of my instructors within the such. But I really feel that the difference between Namido and other grappling systems, quote-unquote, or other striking systems is the well-rounded approach. I really think a lot of systems are lacking in today's world because they don't want to evolve. They want to sit there and hold themselves to traditions, which are false traditions, because if you look into the, his if you look into the history of different arts, they were constantly cross-training. So for Eskrima, well, Lameko Eskrima, right? Lameko, what a lot of people look at it and they think, this is a stick style. This is a knife style. This is a sword style. It's kind of like LARP. No, no, it's not. Eskrima is defined as being a combat style. They don't want to limit themselves to, this is how you use a knife. This is how you use a stick. This is how you use your hand. This is how you throw somebody. No, they're not defined by one subject. If you can use a stick the same way as you can use a knife, then the concept's good. Lameko is really about minimizing your mistakes within each application. So if you're doing a strike and it's telegraphic on four different points, when you're training Lameko, you're trying to kind of file down those four points. One thing that I can quote, um, I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but uh, Guru Gold is, if you were sitting there and you're swinging a stick, right, and you were trying to thin it, thin it, thin it, you're trying to cut the fat off of it, so you're trying to get it where it's non-telegraphic. The first 12 inches or so are going to be really easy. You're going to cut down on those really, really quickly. But you will never get the last inch of telegraphic nature out of it. Meaning there's always going to be a little bit that you have to strive for to get better. That's really what I think defines Lameko versus other stick systems, other knife systems, other combat systems. Where Lameko wants you to take out 
all these bad habits. A lot of other systems will allow you to keep your bad habits. They'll just say, get better. That's fine, but you can, if you have no mistakes that can be perceived by the human eye, then there's no way people can really counter you. That's why I hear a lot of stories about Lameco guys going into stick competitions, and they'll just win with a 1-4, forehand and a backhand, because it's non-telegraphic. People don't know how to react to that. That's one issue I have with a lot of uh, different stick systems, which really i got to call out Valentowoc for that. They're extremely telegraphic with a lot of stuff they'll do. I've met some good Valentowoc guys, but people don't want to trim the fat, so to say. They, they don't want to improve upon their technique. They want to improve upon them using the techniques. Yeah, that's certainly interesting, and I think it's a good thing to be like aware of is how telegraphic and how visible things are. It's really something to look at. You can apply it to your judo, you can apply it to your striking, you can apply it to everything. Mm. If, you, if you have a good cross, you can figure out, hey, I'm telegraphic here, 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 and here. You cut that down, then you'll have a great cross. Same thing with throwing, same thing with everything. I think that's one thing, and now time to go into what defines my martial arts, as it were. Um, one thing that uh, Wing Chun has an advantage of is because everything is so close and so straightforward, it doesn't exactly telegraph at all because it's pretty much just there, in a way. I say what defines Wing Chun. Wing Chun, I probably think I have an easier job than any of you in defining my martial art with Wing Chun because... It is. It doesn't look like anything else. You can say it looks. I, I, we, I, we've said on our channel it has similarities to Kali. You can find Lap style. You can find Tan style. You can find Chi style within Kali. You can find a Bong style and some uh, some striking within Salat. You can find a Pak style within Karate. Uh, we have clinches and elbow strikes that are very similar to the way they do it in Muay Thai, and people theorize that there was some crossover from Thailand. Um, and then you go into other kung fu systems, and you can see well, all of our sweeps probably came from White Crane. You can see a lot of our uh, takedowns and drags being used in Northern systems and Long Fist systems, and the way we punch and kick being used in Shaolin. But if you look at Wing Chun and you see Wing Chun being used, you know what it is. You're not gonna confuse it for something else or wonder what it is because it is close combat. And uh, Don and Santo said that Bruce Lee told him Wing Chun is great if you're fighting in a bathtub because it's very close combat. And that closeness can range a little bit. It can go up to mid-range. I see Wing Chun system going about of an 80% arm extension for their system. Uh, but it's close-range combat. It's centered combat. Most of your strikes come off straight from the chest. It uses triangle movements. It uses uh, vertical fists. And it involves trapping, it involves locking off parts of the body, and it involves quick strikes using your elbows, your forearm, your palms, and your hands, and then your knee, very low kicks that are normally side kicks or vertical kicks to the knee or groin or stomach area. And it's very easy to recognize, and it's something that looks quite simple on one note, but when you do go delve into it, there's complexities to learning it and pulling it off in the way. And then when it comes to Shirinji Kempo, which is my form of Kempo, and it's very different to Master's style, it looks... it's a bit harder to define. Uh, the way I define it is it's a kickboxing system based in karate boxing and kung fu with Japanese jiu-jitsu and weapons. 
the Japanese jiu-jitsu is very similar to uh, Aikido jiu-jitsu. Uh, we do have some similar techniques to Aikido, though they are trained and pulled off in different ways, less steps between them, and more active resistance. And then our strikes come, have a very good mix of karate strikes, uh, knife hands, palm strikes, uh, uh, kicks, high kicks and round kicks, some more kung fu things where we're trapping and flowing more, and then just straight boxing, one-two combos, uppercuts, hooks. I think it's a good sort of hybrid art, and it's sort of what people will think of if they think of mixing styles other than MMA, it's, everything is very sort of clearly obvious and defined of where it is. Well, okay, so now uh, that's going to be our short little clip. We're going to be uploading this discussion of how, well, how we define our martial arts separately as a small video. If you're watching this small video, why don't you go and check out the podcast? There's going to be a lot more to this discussion. If you're watching the podcast right now, keep watching because we've got more to come. So, now we all know a little bit and we've defined our own martial art. How about this will be an interesting challenge to each other. Why don't we try and define how we, as outsiders, see each other's styles, what we think of looking at each other's systems, so we can get a different perspective from being in it rather than uh, looking at it. That's fair. Yeah, it is an interesting take, yeah. Okay, so let's start. Uh, Beast, how about you tell us choose someone's style that they've brought up and see, say what you think about it, what you think defines it. Okay, I will start with Kimpo. Sorry. Kimpo. Uh, you have two people yeah. here who do Kimpo. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. So, uh, to be specific, Lucario is Kimpo. The way I've always kind of seen it, especially looking back at a lot of documentaries and things like that, in terms of like, the style, I always kind of viewed Kempo, funny enough, as Kung Fu and Karate's love job has kind of had a uh, identity crisis, let's say. Because, I mean, you show up to all the meetings, but at the same time, it's like, hey, man, which side of the tracks you want to be on? Actually, I want to ask that as a question. You know that me and Masa both do a form of Kempo. You know they have similar names. Um, do you see different... Our Kempos is different? Do you know that we there's different lineage, or do you see their, them as linked? Do you think of them as being the same thing because of their name? Uh, no, not really. I mean, when it comes to your Kempo, specifically because of, you know, how much I guess I've seen of it, I definitely view it more so as this, you know, hybrid Kung Fu and Karate style, whereas what I've seen more so of Masa's Kempo are kind of associated to be more with karate in terms of things. I can see where you're coming from with that. Masa, whatever, do you see where he's coming from there? Or are you a bit offended that he doesn't think you're Kung Fu enough? Um, no, I think that's fair. Um, my understanding of Kempo is it is basically a blend of Kung Fu and karate. And I know that in my Kempo system, we basically start by learning karate, more or less. And then as we get um, higher and higher up into the ranks, that's when more of the Kung Fu um, starts to, the in Kung Fu influence starts to come out. So a lot of the stuff that you'd see probably is going to be more of the karate stuff. Because there there's a stronger influence there, at least with the majority of stuff you're going to see. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, Marcel is going to you choose someone's style and tell them how you see it as an outsider. So I guess I'll just go with Kung Fu as a general generalization of Kung Fu. Um, my understanding is that it's about a crazy amount of flexibility uh, combined with um, these crazy deep stances that aren't really conducive for movement. <laughs> And just like an exaggeration of the range of motion. Like that, that's my idea of Kung Fu. Just like a bunch of tricking with a bunch of impractical movements. Like I hate to say it, but that, that's what I think of when I think of Kung Fu. Like it's impressive, but... <laughs> I think that goes to Beast because you don't just do Sanda, right Beast? You do... Uh traditional wushu yeah. forms and you've done some tai chi within your school that offers the whole variety of performative traditional tai chi and sanda yeah. so uh what do you think about that <laughs> what masa thinks about your forms yeah i mean like if you mean in terms of forms then yeah that's pretty much all the nose if you wanted to describe those i mean especially like the performance based stuff i mean sure it looks cool but you're not ever really going to be first of all landing that on somebody and second of all if you are that's probably a felony uh, uh so what about uh beast why don't you tell us outside of just that idea of what's been said about being very performative and tricking based uh within traditional so not within your sanda within your traditional or what they just call the Kung Fu class in most Wushu schools. What do you, uh, what else is there element-wise? Uh, element-wise, well, I know it can vary from school to school, at least with us. We tend to do our forms while also breaking down the application of those forms, which, I mean... Almost every form can be interpreted into a different manner as though the people, you know, originated the form and spread it obviously as long dead. But with that being said, we usually try and find every little piece we can to implement into our applications, which would go on to be our standard. And when you're um, implementing, when you're learning your applications, do you do it through pair of drills, or is it singular practice of application that you then will use Sanda for your pair work? Well, I mean, a lot of the application stuff more or less gets broken down to you while you're actually performing the form in itself. And then, at least for me, I go on usually later on that day to try and apply it in terms of standing. Very much up to you, really. At least with us, anyway. That, that sounds fair. That sounds like a decent thing if it's giving you options, but then also the form service purpose of uh, increasing your physicality, even if you don't choose to apply it. Alright, so let's move on to Lo, why don't you make some sweeping judgments of people's martial arts? Ooh, I get to be judgy. Um. Ah, <laughs> uh, hmm. Shirinji Kimpo then. God damn! Uh, everyone wants to come at me. Okay. No, I'm not being bad. I could pick something else if you prefer. No, do, no, do. Shirinji Kimpo. When I look at Shirinji, I 
it almost looks identical to old Water Ryu. And my reasoning for that is... Do you know the three principles of Water Ryu? I know absolutely nothing about Water Ryu except that we used to know a practitioner. Okay, so Water Ryu, right? They have a huge focus on using body mechanics to shift your weight instead of full footwork. I see that a lot within like your beginner katas that you've sent me. I cannot remember the name of them. I'm not even going to try to pronounce them. I just... Chicken day. Yeah, that. So I see a lot of water review within that. And there are three main principles that... You can tell me if I'm incorrect on this. The three main principles within water review are inasu, which means to dodge, which is avoiding or sidestepping an attack. Nagasu, which is to let flow. So instead of stopping something, you just kind of redirect it or divert it instead of trying to stop it statically, right? So we have Inasu, Nagasu, and then the next is Noru. Noru means to ride. So if you see something that's coming in before it fully is, before it's fully done, you kind of jam or stop it so you can throw your own technique in the middle of it. I see those three principles popping up in Shirinji a lot. So when I look at Shirinji Kempo, I almost keep it on the same level as what I view Water Ryu as. I think that's actually a sort of deeper look into it than I was expecting you to come up with, honestly. Uh, it definitely applies. So within any of our uh, countering blocking movements, the idea is your body and head need to be out of line of attack first. That is your priority, is using your body movement to get the target out of the way of the hit so it doesn't land then you use your arm or your leg, wherever you're doing, to parry and redirect in case you end this part of your body is still within the targeting range, and then you counter-strike. And that's simply how it goes. It goes for Uchiokizuki, where we uh, slip forwards to the side, block, uh, parry past the head with a circular arm block, parrying with the fleshy part of the forearm, and then counter with a punch to the stomach, and then it goes with Waukezuki, where we uh, put our weight on our back leg, pull our head back, pull our stomach in, uh, arm goes up, rising upwards to block a shot to the face or a downward strike or a weapon, and then we kick them in the stomach. And that's, so yeah, it applies for the majority of our techniques. So, another thing that really makes me equate Water Ryu and Shirinji kind of into the same little bubble, so to say, is Mudana. Mudana is like waste or something that's unnecessary, right? So, if you look into Water Ryu, right, they've got a philosophy behind it that you're not supposed to use any unnecessary strength, no unnecessary movement, and no unnecessary technique. So, they'll say uh, Mudana no Iroki Mudana no Waza, and Mudana no Chikara, which is, like, don't use too much power. You want to subdue your opponent without causing lasting damage, or you want to get away first and foremost. That's something that I've kind of seen a lot with Shirinji Kenpo, because since it is a self-defense style, right, you guys will do a lot of stuff, and you want to end the issue, get away from the issue, go home. So that's what I really equate it to. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, pretty much the priority. That's why we have uh, lighter attacks, especially when it comes to our uh, our lower levels before, like as white belts, and I, I am still a white belt, even though I've been there two years. I've seen and practiced higher level techniques just because of the amount of time I've been there. Uh, 
and the amount of stuff I've gone into with it. But I, I for our white belt techniques for our grading syllabus, and I think this is still going up for a good few levels still, which uh, it's not meant to be long-term. You're supposed to uh, be green belt within like a year and a half. Uh, normally, because you're meant to get through this light uh, and self-defense stuff easier to get into the real training faster. But we do do this, so we have uh, Meiichi, which is whipping strikes to the eyes, and we don't like try and push through the eyes or anything, it's to make the eyes water. We have Kintikigei, but as opposed to a karate Kintikigei, it's a light flick, we're not stamping through, it's not like Krav Maga, we're trying to stamp their balls out or anything like that. It's trying to do a bit of damage and get out. We have our uh, uh, Suki, our uh, Jodenzuki is like a hammer motion, it flicks out into the face. It's not to do heavy damage, and then when we get into our higher levels, we get the stuff that solid strikes to create more damage. We have our um, Kumade and our uh, hook punches and Agasukis and so on and so forth. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'd always, I never equated the specific um, style. But I had equated Shinji Kenpo to old karate because it has all the grappling influence still. It's got some, a lot of traditional boxing striking influence in it. It doesn't look like modern karate today, but it, and it's still got all this Chinese influence with it as well. So it's kind of similar to what you'd expect older karate to have been. That's, that's actually really interesting because, um, what are you for? So Wadariyu, first and foremost, was actually called Shinshu Wadariyu Karate Jujitsu, right? So it was supposed to have a lot of Jujitsu and a lot of uh, Karate in it, right? There's two schools of thought for modern Wadariyu. You can either consider it Karate, or you can consider it Jujitsu. So that kind of goes hand in hand with what you're talking about. I'd always consider, when I thought of Wadariyu, I feel like the stereotype of it as a style is... The opposite version of Kyokushin. Kyokushin is karate's heavy attack where you run in and you're kind of like a tank or a barbarian. You take all the hits, but you give back the hits. And what are you, people say, is more like you're avoiding as much as you can. Well, they have really good evasive maneuvers. I really think that's where it comes from because they have a lot of, um, geez, I can't remember the name. Oh, Nagashi Sabaki. They've got a lot of focus on Tai Sabaki, Nagashi Sabaki, and just movement in general. Whereas Kyokushin wants to get even with you and let you punch them in the peck over and over. Uh, Wadariyu wants to evade, get out of the way, and then unleash hell on you. I've got a lot of respect for Wado, guys. Hmm. And now I guess it's my turn. Who should I roast? Uh, there's not much to say. I think... I don't have that much of an outsider-looking-in perspective on, say, Lameko, because uh, every, like everyone has an outside perspective of, like, well, you're just stabbing and hitting things, but as soon as you know that it's not, you know that it's not. I think a good one, an outsider perspective on Sanda, because as much as I've done Kung Fu, I've never done Sanda. Uh... So, uh, when I think of Sanda, I think of a somewhat restrictive style. It's very similar to kickboxing, but has some, uh, but has its throws within there. And then I think more so about Lay Tide, and I think about Sanda. 
and so I get kind of like the way I see Sanda is it's a combat sport and then you have a bunch of like kung fu dudes walking in and just like fighting and then it's like you, you, you look at it very separately to what they train even though it is in a way yeah, I'm not sure if any of that was comprehensible English I get what you mean I mean, from an outside perspective, it really would just look like, I guess, kickboxing with a lot more wrestling involved. But with that being said, though, like, it's in itself a weird conundrum. I mean, on one end, if you do solely Santa like I was for a long time, then yeah, it pretty much is that. But for the vast majority of practitioners, a lot of them do a traditional style that shapes them. In fact, that's one aspect of Sanda that I just, and Kung Fu in general that I love over my time spent doing Muay Thai is the individuality of the art in itself. I mean, when it came to Muay Thai, everything I needed to learn and everything I needed to be and to do was already paid for me. Whereas when switching over to Sanda and implementing Kung Fu alongside, with it is Kung Fu, but implementing our traditional techniques alongside it, you just find this freedom to basically become and do whatever it is you please. I mean, once you get past the basic techniques, which serve as more of a tutorial and baseline than anything, it is completely up to you how you want to be and how, what techniques you want to use. I mean, I pull in new stuff from traditional every chance I get. Like, you can just shape it to be something or basically anything you want it to be it can be for you i mean co personally i've seen just a lot of variants i mean for coach specifically his is almost lightning like i mean he definitely pulls in a lot more of our long fist aspects while also maintaining that mixing it with some aspects of tie and western boxing it's a lot more hand and striking oriented while looking at videos of our, uh, you know, leader of the U.S. team, Coach Lee, he just seems to definitely implement that plus a lot more of the grappling aspects, while also throwing in a lot of the traditional, like a lot more of the traditional aspects that he was one of the people to help bring the style about, you know, have more of that traditional base, I'd say. But yeah, it, it in essence, can be whatever you wish it to be. Yeah. And that sort of brought up something that I've been thinking about uh, talking to you guys about. And this may entirely just be my brain and how I'm seeing things. So y'all can tell me if you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I think there is something you can pull up and compare with at least an outsider's perspective to martial arts. Look at wrestling and judo. Look at uh, Kali and Wing Chun. Look at Muay Thai and Sanda, or or Muay Thai and Let Wei, or uh, Muay Thai and Yayan. Look at, um, oh, let's say, look at Kyokushin and Goju. There are many arts that accomplish the same things, but s some look like they're more technical. Some look like cleaner versions, like the way you'd have, like, the version of, like, the nerd, and then, like, the, uh, just the dude that just did it, like, the hard study 
clinical version, you know? Yeah, I get what and you it's mean. Not, there isn't, because everyone knows, anyone who's ever done any of those martial arts knows, you have to study and train hard and learn techniques for both, but some look like ingenuity versus education, or like a refined version. And it's weird to say refined, because refined, normally you think improved, but they're not necessarily better, they just look like they're cleaner, even if they can sometimes be less effective, you know? Like, uh, Aikido looks like a more refined version of uh, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, but I would argue to say how re good refined means, you know what I mean? Yeah, I actually have something to add to that a little bit, if you allow me to. Go for it. Yeah, like, my first actual experience that comes through in a fighting sense is kind of the definition of that. I was at a summer camp before, probably been about seven to eight years ago now, back when I was a kid. I ran into a practitioner of, I believe he did Southern Mantis without any forms of Sanda influence. And while a lot of people would go around to say Sanda is the improved new Kung Fu that is supposed to be the more effective variant, I'll be honest, he kicked my damn ass. That was the first time I ever actually thought of Kung Fu in the sense that it actually might not only work, but be beyond effective. And he was not even doing Sanda. He was just doing what I'm pretty sure you told me his a style of northern southern mantis that his grandfather had taught him when he was, you know, a kid. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think uh, one that we could get maybe uh, Master to uh, Master's opinion on, or might appeal to Master. Uh, I see. Kempo, American Kempo systems, so Master's System, Ed Parker, Kempo, things like that, to be refined versions of, more refined versions in a way of both Taekwondo and Krav Maga. Why Taekwondo and Krav Maga? Well, Taekwondo, because when you see um, American Kempo systems being, as in Kempo systems made America, not just Ed Parker's American Kempo, when you see them sparring, they have large emphasis on kicks and specifically not like just the round and low kicks you'd see within um, Muay Thai, but like kicks to the head, uh, side kicks and stepping side kicks and uh, front kicks and um, crescent kicks. So and the then when of you kicks. see, and then, yeah, especially within their sparring, and then the way I say more refined is because. Even the ones that do point systems seem to have a more definition of what determines a point and less restriction and a more contact than a Taekwondo point contact tournament. And then the reason I say Krav Maga is because of they practice step systems, defense systems with uh, locks and takedowns and weapons combative in a lot of uh, schools. Um, yeah, that is something I actually found really interesting, uh, going to looking at other arts is how few kicks tend to be utilized in other arts, because you're right, um, we have a lot of kicks. Like you said, front kick, side kick, back kick, uh, hook kick, crescent, just like a whole axe kick, a whole load of just different kicks.
Um, so yeah, okay, I can see that. Um, I don't think there's a big emphasis on it in sparring, though. I think people probably utilize it just because it gives you more length, like it gives you more reach. Um, but when I was sparring in Kempo, there wasn't an emphasis on kicking. Um, it was really just preference. And then, yes, we do have um, defensive things. We're also told uh, how quickly you'll bleed out if you get cut in various places by a knife before we're taught any knife defenses. And then we are told to never use those knife defenses. <laughs> so there is that aspect. But um, yeah, we're, we're taught how to defend against like knives and clubs and some gun techniques, I guess. But we're always told basically, don't don't actually deal with that. Just get out of there. I just don't know that much about Krav Maga to make, you know, any real comparison there. Well, the reason I say Krav Maga is Krav is kind of become, this is another thing, if you look at Krav from an outsider's perspective, Krav is the, Krav is the, is the art of, if you want to learn to defend yourself in this situation, in this situation, real streets, you're going to be stopping all of these attackers and they're mugging you and they're trying to come for you in the middle of the night in an alleyway. But we're just going to like break their nutsacks and every bone in their body and leave them on the floor thing. <laughs> and that is how people view Krav if they've never taken it or looked from the outside of it. Uh, even stuff that isn't technically Krav Maga, if it's like a hybrid self-defensive combined martial art, people will say, oh yeah, it's Krav Maga. Hmm. But yeah, I, I guess the big thing would be that we're told to use more common sense when it comes to these defense techniques. Like, we're basically told, yeah, we're teaching you this, but like, if you can just get them to leave you alone without doing that, or if he could just run off, do that instead. So, I mean, yeah, that's a yeah. There is a, a self defense aspect to it, but there's also a lot of let's not rely on this just in case. We were going to go into the, the um, mentality aspects and how uh, things have ch things change, like from the way martial arts view things and the way they think about things. Uh, I think. Uh, a big thing that uh, connects, I think, a big thing, uh, something, one of the only things that I see connecting um, Wing Chun with Krav Maga is they both have, at least from my class and a lot of good classes that I've seen, the ones I respect, a mindset of big damage is good. <laughs> it's a very offensive form of defense where if a situation has been started, then the situation is going to be ended rather quickly and rather violently. Uh, so, yeah, what do you guys think about uh, mindsets and how? What, what are your mindsets in, within martial arts? So, I, I just want to clarify. Basically, if shit's going down, you basically want to get the opponent basically flat on the ground as fast as possible, more or less? The idea is... And, uh, yeah, I've seen this a lot in Krav Maga. It's what Krav Maga is famous for. And then Within my Wing Chun class, and then a lot of the ones that I respect and think are actually worth looking at, uh, the idea is, if someone is starting a situation, 
then you're going to finish the situation and they're not going to be able to keep it going. You're going to have them on the ground, you're going to have them knocked out, maybe you're going to have them locked or held in a something where they're not going to be able to start fighting you again. Okay. Yeah, that's that's definitely different from the mindset of the Kempo that I practiced, which was basically like do your best to defuse the situation and then do as little as possible, try to minimize the damage and like just do enough to basically get away. Yeah, that's in my Kempo as well, all right. There is like you're going to be less violent and get in less fights and do as little lasting damage and just try and get away. Which is great training to balance two training... Well, I'm not training both styles right now, but practice, practicing both styles. Because people underestimate how much the mentality affects the way you use a technique and if a technique works. Trying to balance two styles where the mentality is completely exact opposite is not an easy task at all. Which is good. Uh, if you, that's why I try and look into a style's creation and why it was made, so I can see what the real mentality at the beginning was, and make. Because a lot of self defense is a big mentality now, and a lot of the self defense mentality is run away and don't get in trouble and stay safe and don't be aggressive. So you need to find out with your art whether that's the real idea or whether you're me it was meant to be used a different way. Because maybe that's the secret to making it work better. Yeah, it's definitely interesting um, when you're being taught kind of more of a, a pacifist approach to it, and then, you know, they're going through the technique, and then they're like, and then you break their spine, then you break their neck, then you throw them on the ground, and you stomp on the groin, and then you continue to beat the shit out of them. It's like, okay, and our first thing is to defuse the situation, got it. <laughs> Since when did you train a Maradote? <laughs> Make sure to restomp the groin, uh, put ten hits into the groin, uh, break their neck, uh, take their weapon, stick it up of their asshole, and put them on the floor, and uh, restomp the groin. No. You know, that's, a, that's uh, our next podcast. A thousand ways to hit the groin. No. It could work. You gotta think about the laws and stuff when you're being told to use a very aggressive style, I think is one thing to keep in mind. Well, I think that's probably why they're like, let's not use this if we don't have to. See, we can't all be lucky. I know for Lo and Kinkojiku, you have the original writings of Funakoshi to tell you exactly how the hell you're gonna you're meant to be doing what you're doing. I can't help the fact that no one else wants to write things down. It's not that it's not that no one else wants to write things down. It's that your martial art was made only like what a hundred years ago. And when was Shirinji Kempo made? Like fifty. I have the stuff for Shirinji Kempo, but for Wing Chun, it's like three hundred years ago, and no one knows who the fuck made it. <laughs> I thought y'all had like some little bitty uh, lady who made Wing Chun. People, no one knows if she was real. There's a theory that she was actually just like her own army of fucking kung fu people. Like, she yeah. was secretly 50 dudes that were meeting in secret or something. It is very debated on whether she existed to begin with. I gotta, I gotta, say, it every I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say it every podcast. She was secretly 50 dudes. It is 2021. I hate you.
Anyway, yeah, so you have the original... Please stop. Okay, you have the original writings of Funakoshi to base your... Do you base your mentality in teaching off of that? Do you disagree Nothing. with it based on the other arts that you trained? I just use it for historical value. Uh, my guys, when I'm teaching them for self-defense, if they're ever in a situation where they need to defend themselves, their number one goal is get home, right? That's what I want them to do. I want them to be able to go home safe and sound. Does that mean so that you... they need to sit there and throw someone to the ground and start curb stomping them? No. I teach people that once the threat is stopped, you stop. Because once you have someone on the ground and you're continuing the, the fight... You have turned yourself from being the defendee to the aggressor in that situation. So if someone is starting something with you and you have to defend yourself, and maybe you get like a haraigoshi, right? You get the haraigoshi and you go to back away. Say he goes to tackle you. He goes to tackle you. You try your best to knock him out or make it where he cannot fight back. Once he cannot fight back, he no longer serves to be a threat. Therefore, you are allowed to leave at that point. Yeah. Uh, so what you're saying is you don't take your students to other dojos to have blood fights to the death? That, that's supposed to be for the night class. <laughs> uh, so what in, what what is, do you know, what was the original idea when creating Shotokan? What was the mentality meant to be? How were you meant to apply it then that, that you've changed? There is no first strike in karate. Karate is as boiling water. If you do not continuously heat it, it becomes tepid. Alright, that out of my system. Um, the original mindset was really reactionary-based training. So when someone goes to harm you in any shape, form, or fashion, the mindset was you need to be able to defend yourself from it, i.e. by static blocking, by just entanglement, or by trying to do a passive block by moving it out of the way, right? Because first and foremost, you don't want to get hit. So they, the first mindset was, one, don't get hit. Two, you should throw a follow-up strike just to immobilize your opponent. So where I teach my guys to be a little bit different is if someone throws a technique, I usually get them just to defend against the technique without countering first, first off because you want to see, hey, maybe that will kind of push them away. That will make it where they do not want to cause any more issues with you. If it does not, then they are to counter, where with the first mindset, if someone throws something, you were immediately expected to counter through a singular technique. Where I'll teach my guys to throw multiple techniques just to put them down, right? Shotokan originally was a one-and-done system, right? So if in the first days of the Kinkojuku, you can really see the differences between Kinkojuku and modern day Shotokan because the Kinkojuku has a lot more of the grappling focus on it. So instead of throwing a singular strike to try and put them down, they'll throw a single strike to set up the takedown. You get the takedown, you hit them with the earth because the earth is going to hit harder than you do. And then you're allowed to leave. Modern Shotokan and really JKA Shotokan in general is about Instead of using a strike to set up a throw, you're going to use the strike just to try to break whatever you hit. I kind of disagree with that because I'm not this six foot nine bodybuilder, right? I'm a decent sized guy. I'm not a giant though. I'm not going to sit there and throw a single technique and expect it to be able to drop someone every single time. I just, I don't really buy into that. I've been told I've got a decent punch. I've been told it hurts. I've seen bruises on people. 
I've been told that me punching them does not feel good and I need to stop. Alright, that's kind of expected. I'm not going to buy into the fact that if someone's causing issues with me, I throw a single punch on them, they're immediately going to stop. I'd like to have almost a safety net of sorts. I want to be confident in my abilities to, one, I'll punch them, or two, I'll grapple them. Because I'm pretty sure for just a random on the street, they could be hopped up on who knows what. If you punch them once and they don't, if they don't stop, and they still want to deal damage to you, if you're just sitting there all nonchalant, like I just, I just threw my punch. Why are you still moving? They're kind of still want to, gonna want to hurt you. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's worked okay. for my guys before. Okay, man. So I want to get Beast's perspective on um, martial arts mentality because unlike the rest of us, his art, it doesn't have any sort of self-defense mentality element. His art is specifically a combat sport of its own. Yeah, we don't really... I mean, I guess I would more or less be considered kind of the opposite of what you guys have been going all over for a little bit now. For both Muay Thai and for Sanda and Kung Fu, the mentalities have pretty much always been the same. And I don't know whether that is shaped by the type of arts they are or just our environment here within the city and it being as violent as it is. But we are always taught that you do not go to seek the fight, but if the fight finds you, you shall be the one to finish it. And if it comes down to you versus a stranger, you should always choose yourself. Even if the law doesn't agree with it, at least you can be alive to go to the courtroom instead of a corpse on the street. That's pretty damn intense, bro. Yeah. I mean, it's fitting, though. I've I mean, I haven't seen it go bad to the point where, you know, someone died, but I've been walking around. I mean, fights happen in this city. It's a do a dozen, you know what I mean? And I've seen guys who come in from boxing gyms and stuff just fighting it out in parking lots and shit, and they'll just, you know, oh, he's down, you know, merciful, I'm going to walk away and immediately get beamed by another dude in the back of the head and, you know, stomp the hell out like he's have to expect the unexpected and you have to be willing to do what you have to do to survive even if morally speaking it isn't inherently right or you don't feel it's right in that moment make sure if nothing else you are the one who survives and you are the person who can get home you know get the right to go home to see your family to see you know I don't know if you got a damn dog waiting for you know a cat or whatever or a damn fish as long as you go home, the rest doesn't matter. That reminds me of a southern saying that we have here in Mississippi. Right? It's better to be tried by 12 than carried by 6. Does that make sense? Exactly. Like, as long as you live by the end of the day, I mean, I'm not, like, both Cecil and my old coach would always say the same thing. Like, obviously, don't go around fucking murdering people, but, if, you know, someone is definitely trying to take you out permanently or cripple you in any way or harm you in a way in which, you know, you have to immediately make that type of decision, you make it. It's not an easy thing to do by far. I mean, for some people, maybe it comes easier than most, but 
if that comes easy to you, then why the hell are you doing martial arts in the first place, honestly, is my opinion, but you know, that's besides the point. Either way, you should be the person who goes home regardless of that fact, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright, so let's go on to our second half of our topics for today. We've talked about how our martial arts are defined and how they have a mentality and how some of our martial arts mentalities might be from our ideas even though we don't have that much experience from them. Let's talk about, now we know what defines the martial arts, what is the difference that, what, how much difference changes a martial art? What changes necessitate it to be different? Like, Lo, you do Kinkojuku. Kinkojuku is Shotokan. You see it, or you at least refer to it as different from Shotokan. What do you think is the difference? And do you think it's enough different for you to consider Kinkojuku its own style? Or do you just like not being called Shotokan? Focus on biomechanical advantage. Shotokan really is pretty pretty katas, pretty stances, but it envelops impracticality, right? So when the Kinkojuku was created, right, it was originally just a research club for karate, right? It was founded just to be a research club for karate. The Shotokan, which originally was identical to Kinkojuku, was kind of warped throughout the years. So Funakoshi didn't even name it Shotokan, right? They put a sign up that said Shotokan because Funakoshi was a poet and his pen name was Shoto, right? Kan meaning house of, so it's the house of Shoto. Makes sense? Yeah. That's your little bit of history. It's, it's the house of Todoroki. Yes. My Hero. I'm actually wearing a My Hero shirt, so that goes even better. Um, the differences, I would say, is one, focus on biomechanical advantage over lunges, in a sense. Right? So if you look into if you look into the origins of Kinkojuku, right, you'll find Old Man Okano-sensei. That's just what I call him. Uh, it's Tomosaburo Okano. He actually was classically trained in a style of jiu-jitsu before he moved to karate. When he created the Kinkojuku, he took the karate that he learned from Funakoshi-sensei and some other instructors. Funakoshi was just the main one. And he tried to incorporate them with the jiu-jitsu that he had learned, as well as his swordsmanship. What, we, what he was left with at that point was a system that really focused on tons of standing locks and tons of minor throws. Minor meaning not so, not a lot of very, very large, very, very large lifts, except the one exception being Sakasuki, which is just a sledgehammer throw. So you lift them above your head and slam them down. Almost like a Katsuguruma. But the differences, I would say, between it and Shotokan, which merited a different style, is really, in the old days, it wouldn't be a different style. It's just some of Funakoshi's karate with a different, a little bit of a different influence on it, right? But in the modern day, I like to split the two a lot because they're night and day different. If you look at Shotokan, a lot of their applicational usage, like if you look into their Oyo, right? 
within their bunkai, they're doing things that look good for people watching it, for an outside observer. If you look into Kinkojuku, their bunkai is usually extremely, 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 extremely simple because the mindset is kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. You don't want to sit there and overcomplicate things because that's more things to try to ingrain within yourself or remember within the situation. If you have a bunkai, for example, um, uh, we'll do Pinan Nidan or Han Shodan, as a lot of people call it, right? Your first series is just Geran Harai into Gyakusuki. You're going to turn, Geran Harai, you pull back to Nikyo Ashidach, and you're going to step forward, Tetsui. So you're having your hammer fist, right? It's really simple. A lot of systems do these katas. You look into Shotokan Bunkai for the such. They're going to do it as, well, you're going to roll your wrist right here and try to break a grab. Well, I mean, that's fine and dandy, but I don't want to sit there and do this if I don't need to overcomplicate it. They're, they get really in-depth with this, and there's no reason for it. If you look into the Kinkojuku Bunkai, most Kinkojuku guys Bunkai that is, oh, you're just doing a check with your forearm, turning around and immediately countering with a hammer fist. The reason you're going to Niko Ashidach is just so you can adjust your range so you can strike them with a less likely probability of them being able to strike you back. I really feel the difference is Kinkojuku guys tend to actually feel comfortable saying we train for self-defense. We're not training for competition. Which kind of hurts us if we're doing like sport karate. But I feel for self-defense it's a lot better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, I have an interesting one. Hmm? Okay. What are you asking? We were were doing uh, outside input as well earlier. Uh, let me ask you this. You've seen King Kojiku. You've seen some of the stuff we've done. You've watched a class before. Um, what do you feel is the difference between King Kojiku and Shotokan? I don't think I'm able to answer that just because your classes are never pure. Your classes, you always mix your King Kojiku with Namido and Lamenko. And that brings me to another point. People view Shotokan and other systems as this is a pure system. This is going to be kept just like this. That's fine for history, but you don't know if you're training false history. If you look into the old days stuff, then you have people who are constantly cross-training. I get my guys to cross-train. Anytime I get one of my guys goes out of state, or one of my guys goes to a different area within the state, mm-hmm. I'll say, find a dojo around. Find something that works. If it works, and you can show it to me, and I can see that it has more value to the dojo, I will take it and I will replace another technique that I feel is not as valuable. I'm all yeah. improving, which was the old mindset in Okinawa. People want to sit it here. It should and be the mindset everywhere. Yeah, we should promote cross training. Tell you what, for our advertisement, promote cross training. Stop being supremacist within your own system. You're being false to yourselves. It's the way the old masters would have done it. Start talking about traditions wherever you're talking about it in the fact that, well, I can't change the tradition, or you're talking about it in the fact of, well, you're not going to change because of tradition, because you don't know what the traditions are. I was going to say, we have this one, and it's a weird example and something I don't understand. This has just became a different style purely because of politics. And I feel like this happens fairly often. You can find it, especially within, like, Kempo systems. There is a style of karate called Biakuren Kaikan. Have you ever heard? Have you seen anything of it? Heard of it? Yes. Biakuren Kaikan is Shrinch Kempo. 
the, the yeah. founder. Yeah. Yeah, Kiran Kaikan is the is Shirinji Kempo, the founder. Trained Shirinji Kempo and was told that he wasn't allowed to compete in karate competitions, and so he created the system himself to be for, for a full contact competition. The rules have now been changed. We have competition now. This is back in the earliest days. So that is a system that's created entirely on politics. Politics actually change a lot within systems. You'd be surprised how much it comes up. Using Shotokan, for example, I know I've mentioned this on a podcast before, but the Gojushio Show and Gojushio Daikatas were actually flipped out of respect for a different person who had a lot of influence politically on Shotokan as a whole. He went to do, I think it was Gojushio Dai, but he said Gojushio Show. So instead of saying, excuse me, sir, you said the wrong name, they just kind of flipped it, and everyone referred to it as that kata from then on. Yeah, we've talked about this before on the podcast. Politics or politics ruin martial arts? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I have a rule within. I've got a rule within everyone I train with. You don't bring politics within the dojo. I don't care if you talk about it on your own time. It can be politics within the country that you hail from. It can be politics within martial arts. I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to see people get, you know, in a in a fuzzy over each other because they don't agree. Just leave that stuff at home. Just show up and train. Master, you've talked about a similar thing where you guys have changed dojos because, like, organizations because of grandmasters and such things. I mean, in the world of Kempo, um, there's just, like, a lot of stupid politics going on that happen. I mean, it's just how Kempo is over here. And I think that's why there are so many types of Kempos in the U.S. and it's like, oh well, we're all from this person, but then this happened and this happened, and now we're like five thousand what people away from the original founder. It's just, I mean, honestly, I try to stay out of it, so I personally don't know the particulars, but it's it all comes down to the martial art itself and what people think is effective and what isn't effective and how things should be taught, what should be taught, what shouldn't be taught, you know, changes within the system that should happen or shouldn't happen, and why should they or why shouldn't they happen, and just, like, all of that. And then next thing you know, you, you've got, like, 50,000 different Kempos with slightly different curriculums, but could essentially be considered the, the same Kempo, but aren't because, you know minor details. And we get it a lot within Wing Chun as well. I think that uh, there was a YouTuber uh, who said that's the reason he left training Wing Chun because of, they were like, this organization, this master, terrible, they don't know this, they do this, they hate this, da 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 And it's like, surely, like, the system should be a priority. I noticed that about Wing Chun whenever you invited me to that Facebook group. Oh, God, yeah. I also noticed that, no offense within the Filipino martial arts group, but no, I got stalked on that Facebook group just because I asked about a system. Like, literally, I asked about a system because I'd heard about it, I'd heard that there were, like, big controversies behind it, and I had no idea what it was. I'd spoken to some people from it, 
and I asked them there, I was like, yo, what's the deal with this? Why is this so hated? Is it true that they lie about this thing and that thing? And some guy literally told me that I was reigniting a 50-year-old blood war and that I was a troll and then stalked my Facebook page. And then when I told him he was stalking, because this was a couple of years back, so I told him he was stalking a child, a uh, minor, and then he blocked me. Yeah, it sounds so kind of a clusterfuck. I mean, yeah, I, I do. One of our biggest issues, I'd say, is just how much the government plays a role within the arts themselves these days. Like, going into the whole style aspect, like, as much as I love Santa, it's just one of those things where it's like, it started off like, hmm. Like, you already knew a discipline of comes to it. Let's just say Wing Chun or Baji, or you did both. And then, you know, you went to the Nanjing Institute, you trained with some other guys, they figured out what they wanted to incorporate. Then, at that point, it just kind of became like a, uh, like, let's, uh, yeah, I'll, that's a good analogy. I'll just say, Santa initially started off as, let's say, a augment or a addition to what you already had put in place. But nowadays, it's just taught as its own discipline, which I don't know whether they agree or disagree with is. And one end, yeah, if you just stand it, you're beyond fine. I mean, you're going to get everything you need. But at the same time, that takes away a lot of the kung fu influences that actually made it what it was and made it special in the first place, if you ask me. But that's just personal opinion and semantics, I guess. Yeah, I see that a lot, Sanda. A lot of Sanda people don't want to associate or don't even... Some don't even know the association. They just think... Well, everyone thinks the outside perspective is Sanda is kickboxing that was made in China. It's mostly just kickboxing influence. People don't even know the Kung Fu, Kung Fu influence, and a lot of Sanda guys don't want to talk about it or don't want to associate or consider themselves to be part of Kung Fu. Which, I mean, it's okay if you don't want to consider yourself part of something or be like, yeah, I'm a kung fu person. You don't need to claim something like that, you know. You just train what you train. But it's weird, interesting to see, you know, where things come from if people are or aren't going to claim it or if they even understand it or not. Yeah. That being said, I don't know how many of them are actually taught the history in general. I mean, I have the you know, luck of just being at the center of it in terms of, you know, America, but I don't know how the Chinese institutes and the other academies and other, you know, schools that teach it, how in-depth they actually go into the actual history of it all, or whether they just, you know... Well, even then, you're at a very large, very prominent center with a lot of history for it, and you didn't even know for a, a long time, even after, like, we admit that there was a link between Sanda and uh, Kung Fu. Well, I mean, it's always, from when I went in there, I knew it was Kung Fu. The only problem is, is that there's, like you said, a lot of people who try and distance, distance themselves immensely from the idea of being called a Kung Fu style, I guess, maybe because of the negative connotations that came with Kung Fu over the years, especially with, you know, a lot of the videos surfacing now, 
people who are supposed to be reputable getting their asses kicked. Well, just to go back to our original question for this conversation, how much does something have to change for you to think of it as a different style? For me to think of it as a different style, I think, if nothing else, even if an art were to have similar or the same techniques, they should have a at least mid-sized syllabus of unique techniques before they can more or less call themselves a completely new style. That being said, I don't think that's something that's probably agreed upon. It's definitely, you know, not for that matter. Like, for instance, uh, I had a good example primed up earlier, but, you know, there's, like, Kung Fu in general, I'm pretty sure there's over 300 styles. A lot of those styles will teach you pretty much a similar thing, if not the same exact thing, just with a lot of different variations to it. But overall, I think you have to at least have a at least half a syllabus that is unique to yourself before you can say you are your own style. I knew I wrote a whole blog about. I know I wrote a whole blog about this once about the uh, within Wing Chun how different things can be within different lineages, how it's constantly evolving and changing, and that it keeps some core principles. And then whether or not Jeet Kune Do can be seen as a form of this evolution that has been and change between masters has been prominent throughout the system. And I'm. What do you guys think about like? If a system evolves a lot and it's always through the same system, through masters, you train this system, you start teaching this system, you train it a little differently, teach it a little differently, so on and so on. Can that stay the same system? Is that the same system or is it inevitably something else? Maybe one or two teachers down the line. I think it's still the same system as long as you like. I mean, no matter what you do, things are going to change. It's just a matter and a fact of time. But with that being said, I don't think simply training in a slightly different way should constitute the title of being a completely different style. At least not initially. Maybe over the course of a couple of generations, and you just really start to stray and go down a completely different aspect. Like if you start off, I don't know, like doing, I guess, Northern Long Fist, and then you just solely take the Beyond Technique or a Weapons Technique, and then just keep going with that for a couple generations. Then maybe you can say you're a style that might have had an origin in Long Fist, but became its own thing. But I still think it takes at least at least a couple generations, if not a new syllabus, for that to be the case. Yeah, I think it would be the same the same school of thought because it's essentially the same curriculum. It's just some minor human tweaks here and there, which is common with, I think, every art. So, let's say, for example, we take a karate system and someone trains that karate system. They get to... Not just a black belt, they get to say maybe a fourth time. Uh, they have a friend who trains Muay Thai. 
And so when they go to teach their karate system, they add an emphasis on uh, clinching and closer fighting. Are they still teaching that karate system? I mean, as long as they're not removing the karate part of it, I would say, yes, it's the same school, just like with a little extra. Because they're adding extra, would they be valid in calling it a different system, or would that not be enough change to just add clinching and close fighting? I wouldn't say it'd be enough change, because clinching and close fighting is already prominent within lots of forms of karate. I would say that... Okay, but we're talking about a specific system, we're not talking about karate as a whole. Like, say, it'd still be a karate system, but you'd say... Let's say someone was doing... Okay, let's say someone was doing Shotokan, and it was modern Shotokan where it's mostly point tournaments, so they do focus on lunging attacks and kicks, and they don't train much of their bunkai. And then when they start training elbows and clinch, they change their name, and they say, I'm not doing Shotokan anymore, I'm gonna say I'm doing... I'm gonna just name it after myself. So they name, their name is like... John. They're now doing John Ryu Karate. Is that justified? Because it's not what they were taught. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna do a very nonchalant answer that a lot of people will probably disagree with. To each their own. If it makes them happy, go for it. But I don't see the system surviving. Because I mean, geez, how do I say this without sounding absolutely horrible? You can't. Taekwondo is a thing. Taekwondo is Korean Shotokan. Fair enough. What about the rest of you guys? What do you think on the... Uh, is, would that be justified for them to say it's a new system? Someone with less karate bias? No offense, yeah. love. I mean, even with Sando, we take plenty of implements from Western styles, but I'd still say we're Sanda, you know what I mean? Like the, a couple months ago, even my uh, instructor for Sanda was teaching us a move that originated within Muay Thai. But you know, it doesn't make it not Sanda anymore. You're just you know, adding a little bit of a uh, spice, I guess, to what you already had. Because, like, for that question, are you trying to say that they're they're are they training Muay Thai, or they, have they just fought against Muay Thai? They fought against Muay Thai, and so they've started to implement stuff to counter and go against. Yeah, I wouldn't say that for the... I wouldn't say it's a new system for the same reason that I wouldn't say that... I wouldn't say that I'm doing a new system if I'm working on lifting people whenever they pull guard. I can still do judo while focusing on, hey, I know these guys are going to pull guard. How do I get around that? Okay. Well, let's go to you specifically, Lo. You teach your students, and you rank your students in Kunkojuku. Mm-hmm. But you don't just teach Kunkojuku. You mix in Namido and Lamenko. So do you think that you're still teaching Kunkojuku? Do you can still, still consider it to be Kunkojuku? Or do you think you'd be justified in saying you're teaching a different system? I think I could go either way with that. Because my base syllabus, right, is Kinkojuku, right? That's what the system is based in, right? 
I teach a mix of Muay Thai Lidrit, Judo, and Jiu Jitsu, as well as Lameko mixed in. Right? The reason I do that is because I, I feel it gets a bit more well rounded. The funny thing with this, though, is since my training center is actually registered at the Hanbu Dojo in Japan, I had to include what I was changing, which wasn't really anything. I didn't change any of the syllabus that was previously set. When we filed our paperwork to get associated in Japan, so they will have our place on record if any of our students ever go to Japan, they can train at the Hanbu. They don't have to stay on the foreigner side. They are allowed to go into the cool kids club, right? Since they're allowed in there, we had to send them a full curriculum of what we're doing. We have every technique that is included within the Kinkojuku within our syllabus, which is really a lot. It's not as much that they need to know, but it's just everything they have already incorporated. As well as everything that I wish to incorporate from other systems. So, the way I have it phrased is implements of judo and Japanese jiu jitsu. Implements of Japanese jiu jitsu were already, in, in, um, were already involved because Okano sensei had a lot of Japanese jiu jitsu background that he wanted to mix into it. So, I kind of was able to bypass it under that. And for the stick work, I labeled it as doing eskrima to kind of play off of the Kobodo factor. factor. Right, that's the one difference I really think that we have between our Kinkojuku and the Kinkojuku in Japan. Kinkojuku in Japan, they have a big focus on on uh, Kobodo because um, there was one man. I think his name something Matsukaze. He was a very very prominent uh, Kobodo practitioner. That was a really close friend of Okano Sensei, and he gave a lot to the system. So they trained Kobodo from his lineage. I don't really teach Kobodo because I haven't done it really in years. So the way I traded that off is I'm teaching implements of Kobodo mixed with with Filipino martial arts to kind of enhance upon it. Since it's still labeled as Kinkojuku, they're learning Kinkojuku. They're just learning implements of other styles. I'm not teaching them fully other systems. I'm teaching them our base system with other things added in. It's kind of like being a chef. You can cook something and add a couple of different spices every now and then just to, just to spice things up. You're not changing your dish overall. But yeah, no, like, I believe just also coming in from like a, I guess this is kind of unrelated, but like a zoology, bio, biological, biological stance, in order for something to be classified as a new species or subspecies, I guess, instead of style in this case, it has to have enough unique characteristics as to where it can be identified outside of the norm. Like, for instance, an Asiatic lion versus an African lion, they might look similar when, you know, just looking at them in the same white room, but within their natural habitats, along with their size difference and everything else, you can very much tell these are two different animals. That is what I think a style has to reach before it can be identified as its own thing. It's kind of like um, if you have an individual whose father is Italian, 
but his mother is a mixture from all around the world. Does he still have the right to claim to be Italian? Even though he has things mixed into him, he has a very large portion of himself that is, in fact, Italian. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, it, you have to be... I think, in order to call yourself a completely new system, you firstly have to be identifiably different in the first place, and that would come in the form of a syllabus and or new techniques that your older discipline or your parent discipline would not have. Those characteristics cannot match up if you want to claim to be a completely new individual. Unless you're Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, then you're just going to claim you came from the fucking AI or some shit. I don't, I don't know. Just judo. Yeah, that's, that's the joke. They think they're Cabbage Patch Kids, but... Well, one more point I want to bring up with this is HEMA. Now, HEMA is supposed to cover historical martial arts within Europe. Yeah, that's kind of the definition of the, the art and the name, right? Mm-hmm. However, you don't have separate martial arts for Glima being uh, Viking arts, for pugilism being historical forms of boxing, Etc. Etc. So, what should they be different? Should they not all be Hema? I feel like Hema is more of a category, you know, as opposed to these are different styles. I feel like just saying historical European martial arts. I mean, that's there's a lot of different things going on there. Like, I feel like it's more a category than just saying one art. So I think it would make sense that they all were their own separate names. Yeah. I right. think it's like, if anything, it should be, like Masso said, kind of like an umbrella term, the same way it comes through, is usually used as a generalization term. Like, Europe is way too diverse and just gone through way too much shit for them to sit down and try and claim to be one entity. There is just way too much going on. I mean, Christ's sake, Spain has like 50 different damn martial arts, of which, yeah, you could say, yeah, no, this is Hemo, but you know, I mean, you got different people, you've got lineages to think about, you've got all this shit to think about. Like, there is in no way you can try and classify this as one entity. That's like me claiming to train Budo. I just train the martial way. It can be a very exactly. term for different subsets. It's just too vast to try and say your one thing. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are people who genuinely care, who go and, you know, try and unearth. Like, that's another thing, these manuscripts, you know what I mean? Like, there's no harm with that, but, you know. There's, I actually know that could be an episode in itself, but what I'm trying to say is, it's just way too much out there for them to be one individual style. It's, it simply is not doable. And those who think it is, just, I mean, they'll learn in time, essentially. Alright guys, thank you for watching this episode of Combat Connections Day Class Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a comment, let us know what you want to see. Check out our TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram Check out our podcasting platforms. Check out any podcasts you've missed and videos coming up. And until next time, guys, peace.